0: Welcome back to the Maroon Weekly. It is Sunday, June 2nd, and we are heading into week 10 of spring quarter. My name is Ron. And I'm Isaac. And we have a bunch of stories to cover this week, so let's just get straight into them. I'm sure a lot of people have classes that are affected by the GSU strike this week. In an attempt to gain university recognition as a union, graduate students plan to hold a picket line tomorrow that will likely extend through this Wednesday. GSU decided to take this step after a vote taken last Monday. What will the strike look like? Public demonstrations involving graduate students are going to occur Monday through Wednesday. Laura Coloneri, a PhD student in the Department of Romance Languages and Literatures, said that during the strike, we're not going to be doing any of the things that graduate student labor is essential for. That's going to include teaching, grading, answering emails, and doing our research projects. So how is the strike going to impact students? The strike may cause spring quarter grades to be delayed. This could adversely affect graduating seniors, who need grades inputted by next Saturday at the latest. When asked to respond to this, university spokesperson Jeremy Manier answered in a written statement, The university has planned for a number of contingencies and will be communicating with students to offer guidance in the event of a strike. We are committed to supporting our students' successful completion of this academic quarter. As many of you also likely know, Dean Boyer sent an email to the undergraduate student body on May 30th, writing that just as graduate students had the right to protest in a non-disruptive manner, undergraduate students had the right to attend class. So who supports and who doesn't support the GSU? The GSU has received a lot of support from undergraduate students. Students organizing United for Labor, or SOL, called for undergrads to support GSU's efforts. The university administration has been against a graduate student union. In a 2017 letter addressing graduate student unionization, President Zimmer and Provost Dermeyer wrote, a union can come between students and faculty to make crucial decisions on behalf of students, focusing on collective interests rather than each student's individual educational goals.
1: A couple weeks ago, student government representatives were elected in a runoff election during a meeting on May 14th. The new college council representative for the class of 2022 is John Kunzo, and the new college council chair for the next academic year is second year Miles Hudson. The council began the meeting by amending its stance concerning study abroad. Previously, bylaws stated that the college council chair cannot study abroad. However, Miles Hudson is planning on being abroad next year. After a straw poll among returning members, 8 in support and 0 against, and a roll call vote among all current members, 14 in favor, 1 against, and 1 abstention, the council modified the bylaws to allow the chair to study abroad for one quarter.
0: So who takes on his responsibilities?
1: Under this newly amended law, during the quarter of the college council chair's absence, all responsibilities will be delegated to the vice chair. On why he wanted to be the College Council Chair, Miles said that, I've been on College Council for two years already and I'm entering my third. This year, I was the most experienced member running to represent the class of 2021, so I know what's been tried in previous years and what's worth pursuing as a body.
0: So you mentioned a runoff, right? Who is that between...?
1: So in addition to the incoming college council chair position, the council voted on its fourth representative for the class of 2022 after two candidates tied in the main election during sixth week. The runoff consisted of two candidates, John Kunzo and Harry Gardner, and resulted in Kunzo winning the seat. Kunzo said that his main goal is to act on behalf of the class of 2022 rather than independence. So, last Wednesday, shareholders of the Seminary Co op bookstores, which comprises the Seminary Co op on Woodlawn Avenue and 57th Street Books, unanimously voted yes to transition their governance structure from a Washington, D.C. cooperative, a type of business owned and controlled by the members who use the products or services, aka the shareholders, to an Illinois nonprofit corporation. The decision followed four years of discussion on the matter.
0: Has business impacted the transition to a nonprofit?
1: Well, in pursuing their cooperative towards solely selling books, about 99% of their stock is comprised of books, which is a large percentage compared to other bookstores such as the Barnes & Noble that often sell stock auxiliary goods like pens and keychains, which tend to be more profitable. So the business of the seminary co-op sales have declined. In addition, it's unable to receive the economic backing from its shareholders that is necessary to keep a cooperative structure afloat. Over the last two years alone, for example, the co-op has lost 53,000 shareholders. Furthermore, despite enacting a clause in the bylaws in 2016 that requires an annual purchase of $10 or more to maintain shareholder status, the co-op is still struggling. But when it becomes an Illinois nonprofit cooperation, a few changes will occur. There will no longer be shareholders, and all current shareholders will no longer be eligible to receive dividends. However, this will have little effect as the co-op has not yet distributed dividends for about 25 years due to their current retained losses.
0: So how will changes in bylaws take place?
1: Well, since there are no longer going to be shareholders to vote to elect board members to change the bylaws, community members will be able to nominate candidates for the Seminary Co-op board, and those nominated will then be considered and elected by the board. In addition, this new nonprofit is unrelated to the tax exempt nonprofit 501c3 form that is associated with public charities. Rather, the co op will function as a cultural institution that still pays taxes but gives back to the community through unparalleled browsing experiences, showcasing exceptional writers and thinkers, and building a community based upon the power of books to help us discover, understand, and connect with others and ourselves. And a quote from the Seminary Co op.
0: So just to go over some important pieces of legislation that were passed in the Illinois State Congress this past Friday, the Illinois Senate passed a bill that established the ability to get an abortion in Illinois as a fundamental right. The bill, known as the Reproductive Health Act, is on its way to Governor Pritzker, who has signaled support for it. After the bill passed in the House, Pritzker stated, Illinois is making history because our state will now be the most progressive in the nation for reproductive health care. In Illinois, we trust our women to make the most personal and fundamental decisions of their lives. And now that will be the law of the land, even as it's under threat in other states. The new bill, if enacted, would repeal the Illinois Abortion Law of 1975 and the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act, which contains provisions for spousal consent, criminal penalties for doctors who perform abortions, waiting periods, and other restrictions on facilities where abortions are performed. Next, the Illinois House passed the bill to legalize recreational marijuana on Friday as well. The bill has already passed in the Senate and is on its way to Governor Pritzker, who has shown support for the measure.
1: So what exactly will the bill do?
0: The bill will allow residents over 21 years old to purchase up to 30 grams of marijuana. The bill will also promote social equity by helping individuals and communities disproportionately affected by the war on drugs to open their own dispensaries. Furthermore, rather than expunging over 800,000 convictions, cannabis convictions under 30 grams would be pardoned by the governor, and then the state attorney can petition the court to expunge the record. So did the
1: bill contain anything about the medical use of marijuana?
0: The bill has been amended so that patients prescribed medical marijuana would be able to grow their own marijuana at home. That's all we have for episode 45. Music is produced by Aaron Senden, Andrew Dietz, and Kenny Tabet-Lavega. Thank you to the Logan Cage staff for the provision of the audio recording space. Stay tuned for our special O Week podcast that we'll be dropping in September. Until then, I'm Ron. I'm Isaac. Good luck on finals and enjoy your summer.